Junior and Grant. They were my biggest threat when I was in sixth grade. I remember them to this day. I was a long-haired, pot-smoking hippie in the sixth grade. My hair is halfway down my back. My girlfriend used to literally braid my hair on the bus on the way to school in sixth grade. And that's what you get for having older brothers. They, you grow up with Frank Zappa and uh, the Moody Blues and Pink Floyd and uh, uh, Old Yes and all that. And you smoke pot and you grow your hair long. And my, my mom and I got divorced. I ended up in Arizona going to a cowboy redneck school. And uh, they hated me uh, because they were cowboy rednecks and, uh, and, and, and I had the long hair, smoking pot, and I had the prettiest girl in the school. And so they hated me. So every day they threatened to hurt me. And so every day I remember going to school in fear. And then the day came when they called me out. And so I'm on the playground and they... They uh, were going to fight me. And so then you get the crowd of kids all around, right? So now here you are uh, not wanting to be in that position. Fight, 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 fight. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. And this fear just paralyzed me. I mean, I SpongeBob would make me look like I needed to work out, right? I mean, I was just scrawny. And I mean, I was a, I was a lover, not a fighter, but Grant Jr. Oh, they were fighters. I mean, they were like, they were, they were at the rodeo every weekend. Right. And, uh, I was paralyzed with fear. I was overwhelmed. Have you ever felt that way before paralyzed with fear? That's what fear feels like. It paralyzes you. You feel like you're drowning it could be the fear of making a commitment to a marriage and taking on that responsibility. It's easier just to fly solo and not have all that weight on you. The fear of being promoted over your head, beyond your knowledge base, and you're scared to death that everybody's going to find out you're not really qualified to be in that position. It could be the fear of facing your internal issues. Going to counseling and looking inside. Oh God, who wants to do that? But those internal issues sabotage your life, sabotage your relationships. And at one point, you're the problem and you know it. And so does everybody else. It takes courage to look inside. It takes courage to face obstacles in life that literally paralyze you with fear. It could be the death of a loved one and, and facing the potential death of a loved one or your own death. The fear of death is the number one fear of the human race. Fear is a crippler. Fear of going into a, a, a conversation with somebody, into a room, meeting with somebody to resolve a conflict. How many of you enjoy that? Conflict resolution. You enjoy that? Yeah. One person raised their hand. <laughs> Weirdo. The fear of admitting that you have an addiction. 
It takes courage to admit that. It takes courage to decide to go into a rehab. It takes courage to come out of the rehab and face life. It takes courage to obey God. The Red Sea in front of you. The Egyptian army behind you. Talk about fear. And about three million people looking at you to see what are we going to do now. And you have to come up with the answer. And God says, stick your staff out over the sea. You have to have courage to do that. Go out against this army that is ten times bigger than your army. Just go ahead and march on out there. Put your foot in the Jordan River that's overflowing this time of season. Just walk into the river with everybody following you. Parents, children, just walk into the river and you step in. And of course, when they stepped in, the river split wide open. It takes courage to obey God. You and I cannot live life without courage. And sometimes you need extraordinary courage for extraordinary circumstances. So where do we get courage from? For some people, you just grit your teeth, dig deep, face your fears, and just go. But for me, on that day, that wasn't going to work. Why? Because I was paralyzed. There was no courage in me whatsoever. How many of you have ever felt that way? Where you just don't have any more faith, courage, strength to move forward. And you're just paralyzed, overwhelmed. That's the way I was that day. I was going to get my butt kicked. There was no way out. There was no way through. There was no compromising. There was no talking him out of it. I could see it in his eyes. My heart's pounding. So you know what I did? The only thing I could do. I turned to the only friend I had and said, go get my brother. He's on the eighth grade playground. And he took off. And I just stalled and stalled and stalled and stalled. And right when Grant was ready to clock me, all of a sudden, Boom! People's bodies are flying. My brother and his friend come flying. But he shoves Grant in the chest. Grant goes flying back. And and my brother's friend pushed the other guy, Junior. And he went flying back. And I saw this. And you know what what happened then? You know how how it's flying? Yeah! Come on! You haven't even seen my best moves yet, man. Mm. I was ready to go. Yeah! Where did my courage come from? Knowing I knew that all I had to do was call for my brother and he would be there. For the follower of Christ, it doesn't matter what you face on this planet. Your courage comes from knowing that God is with you. What does the scripture say about this? Psalm 46.1. God, say this out loud with me. Come on. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. One translation says, 
uh, a very present help and one says an ever-present help. That's both true. He is ever-present and very present. And sometimes he's more present than others. He's always there. But sometimes his presence, he knows you need to feel it more than you normally do. That's how God rolls. He's always with you. But when you need his presence amped up, he amps it up. Especially when you cry out to him. Often when I'm facing an overwhelming situation, I do a mental exercise. I remember one time a friend of mine was in the hospital. She had uh, tried to kill herself. And, and uh, I'm in the hospital. And there she is laying there. And they're trying to save her life. And uh, it was someone I loved very dearly. And as I'm watching her, I'm just feeling overwhelmed and helpless. And my loved one is possibly about to die. And why did she try to kill herself? And as I'm saying that, I did this mental exercise right then and there. I do it often. I purposely erase God from my mind just to see, you're like, why? Just to see what it feels like to live life without God. Why do I do that? Because I want to stay in touch with those who don't know God. What's it feel like for a person that would be in this situation that's not a God worshiper, that doesn't have faith? And has not given their life to Jesus Christ yet. What does it feel like for them? So I do that mental exercise. I can only do it for a couple of seconds. Because immediately my fear skyrockets. My anxiety rushes through my body. Because this situation that I'm facing right now, it's all dependent on me. What what, What I'm bringing to the table is all I've got. Then I slip right back into the fact that I am walking with God. I'm able to pray and call heaven on earth. To feel the courage, the hope, the presence of God in any situation. Can I hear another amen? Thank you, Rick. Another amen. Do you know that this truth that God is with you is so real, it's actually one of his names. We're opening a series, where I just opened it, a new series starting today called Courage. It was during my break that the Lord spoke this word courage to me. It's like this window of revelation opened to me about courage and how important courage is for every one of us in this life and how God imparts courage to his people. That's why I'm opening this series today. I've been waiting to do this. Do you know that God is so present with you everywhere you go? That's one of his names. Everybody say Jehovah Shammah. The word Jehovah, the name Jehovah in the Bible means covenant keeping God or a God who keeps his promises with his people. Then he tacks another name on to Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, God who provides, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, Jehovah Rohi, the God our shepherd. This one's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. April, the Lord is there. Where? Right there in your seat with you. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, you got Mary right there too. And that's, hey, you know, I'll take either one sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Because... <laughs> You want Mary on your side, I promise you. Woo! In a spiritual alley fight, ooh, Mary is on my side. 
This word Jehovah Shammah, this name is found in Ezekiel. The distance around the city will be six miles, and from the day the name of the, that from that day the name of the city will be the Lord is there. There's a city, Jerusalem. The name of it is the Lord is there. Now, why did God give Ezekiel this vision? Because because Israel is about to go into captivity at this time, and God gave Ezekiel a vision of the presence of God departing from the city. It was horror to Ezekiel to see God's presence leave. You guys, you read through the Old Testament, and God's presence was the whole key to their success in life. They go into battle. It didn't matter if they had five people or 5,000 people or going against 10,000 or 40,000 people. As long as they had the Ark of the Covenant with them, the box that God lived in, as long as they had the presence of God, they could beat anybody. It didn't matter. That's how David, going into the valley to fight Goliath, all the mighty men of Israel and all their soldiers and all their equipment, they're all scared to death. They're paralyzed with fear. They had no courage. And yet this little shepherd boy says, I'll take this guy out. And the king says, well, here, use my armor. And he tries to put his armor on. And he's like, this doesn't work for me. Because I got all I need. I got my little pouch. I got my five stones in. I got my slingshot. Here I go. They're like, what a fool. No. Where did David get his courage from? Because the Lord was going into that valley with him. You know what he said? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, what's that have? What's circumcision have to do with winning a battle? Well, back then. Everybody say back then, okay? <laughs> it has nothing to do with now. But back then, it was the sign that you had a covenant with God. The Philistine, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Who's this Philistine? I don't care how big he is. I don't care how big his shaft is. I don't care how intimidating it is at work. Or my friend group who's gossiping about me. Or people who think they're prettier, or smarter, or richer than me and better than me. Or this job I'm about going to that I'm not... Uh, prepared for or this calling that God's called me to that's got my knees knocking. I don't care how big the challenge is. My God is with me. So David steps right down into that valley with his God. He said, who is this guy that doesn't have a relationship with God? That's all, that's, all, that's all that was on David's mind. That's all that has to be on your mind. Every waking moment of your life, when you wake up in the morning, when you're at work, wherever you are, when you're at school, when you're in a conflict, in your mind, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. That's all you need. That's all you need to know. God is with you. Think about in the Old Testament when the uh, Assyrian army came to capture Elijah. And Elijah and his servant come out and there's chariots all around surrounding him. And the servant, he's, oh my God, they're going to kill us. And he said, no, 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 no. The prophet said what? What did the prophet say? There's more of us than there are of them. So, of course, Elijah's servants, thinking that the prophet doesn't do math real well, right? You know how to prophesy, but math wasn't your strongest 
strongest subject in school, was it? You know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 300. 1, 2. There's more of us than there are of them. And what did the prophet say? Open his eyes, Lord, so he may see. You need to pray that prayer. Open my eyes, Lord, so that I may see. Will you pray that prayer with me right now? Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see. Bam! His eyes opened to the spirit realm. And behind the enemy's chariots were chariots of fire. They were always there. But he wasn't aware. God's always with you. Are you aware? When Isaac, no, Jacob was asleep with his head on a rock. He had a dream and he wrestled then with the angel. It's a, it's a story in the Bible. And you know what Jacob said? The Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> Are we aware? Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you, Jeff. To the end of the age. Is it the end of the age yet? Has he come back yet? It doesn't matter if you feel him, hear him, smell him, can touch him. That doesn't matter. What he said is, I am with you. Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, he'll be right there with you and you'll be paralyzed with fear. If you do believe it, he'll be right there with you and you will have the courage of God. Because you know you're not alone. Amen. Now, Jesus says it, says this to his followers in John 16, 33. So you believe in me now? Jesus replied, the time is coming. Indeed, it already has come when you will be scattered. Every one of you going home and leaving me alone. Yet I'm not really alone. For the Father is with me. I've told you this, that you may find peace in me. You'll find trouble in the world. You will find trouble in the world. But never lose heart. I have conquered the world. Well, how does that help us? Jesus was saying, you're shouting amen right now in church. You believe in me, Jesus says, because I'm with you. There's a trial coming, and you guys are going to be paralyzed with fear, and you're going to run and leave me alone. He said, but I'm never alone. See, Jesus knew the Father was always with him. That's why it was so hard on the cross, Mark, uh, cross, when, uh, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the first time in all of eternity that the Father and the Son were separated. Jesus could stand at the tomb of Lazarus and say, Father, I know you hear me. I know you always hear me. Can you say that? Can you say that when you pray? Father, I know you are listening to me, and I know you always listen to me. I pray that. I say that to him. I say it to him all the time. I know you see me. I know you hear me. I know you're listening to every... When I'm praying, I know you're listening to me right now. I totally believe that. I believe he's watching this. I believe right now he's saying, preach, John, preach. Yeah. 
I totally believe that. Do you believe that for you? Or do you think that his promise that he will be with you and never forsake you and be with you to the ends of the earth is for everyone else but you? Like you're so special that God would not be faithful for the first time in all of eternity for you. That's really what we're saying when we don't believe that God is with us. And you might say, yeah, but I've sinned so bad. I've blown it so bad. Well, you need him more than everybody else right now then. So he comes closer to you, not farther away from you. He's easily touched with our weaknesses. He doesn't go, wow, that's pathetic. And go this direction. No, he goes, oh man, you need more of me right now than, right? Jesus can say to us, I will be with you to the end of the age. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this question. How, how is it that Jesus, who lived on the earth physically, then he died for our sins, then he rose from the dead, broke the power of death, and then ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father in heaven right now, says to you and I, right here today, and you that are participating online, and every other follower of Jesus on the planet, how... Can he be with us everywhere we go? He's in heaven. Everybody say, Holy Spirit. Come on, say, Holy Spirit. And say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. It's by the Spirit of Christ. It's by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that, I give you my spirit and he will be with you forever. Look at this in John 14. And I will ask the father and he will give you, Christian, another advocate who will never, who what? Who will leave you when you've blown it so bad he can't even stand to be around you anymore. Who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all the truth. The world cannot receive him because it is not looking for him and doesn't even recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. That was because Jesus was with them physically. So the Holy Spirit was in and on Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit was with them because they were with Jesus. But later he will be in you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you when he came to him by the spirit. Now I want us to go to the book of Acts and I want us to see this in action. Okay. Now we're going to see the apostles that get jammed up and we're going to see how they respond differently in this scenario than they did in the one previous. The one previous, Jesus rose from the dead and it says the disciples were in the upper room for fear Everybody say, for fear, for fear of the Jews. They saw Jesus crucified. So they were hiding in an upper room because of fear. Fear had gripped them and paralyzed them. They're waiting for the Jews to come and arrest them and crucify them too. But what happened? What happened? 
What changed it? <laughs> yes, they're in the upper room, and the only difference was God went, and the Holy Spirit filled the room where they all were, paralyzed with fear. Then what happened? They came out of that upper room down into the middle of the street where the ten cities of the, the Tecopolis, the, the population from ten cities all converged on Jerusalem. God waited until there was the biggest crowd ever. <sighs> Breathed on 120 of fear-gripped disciples. The Holy Spirit was the only difference. They went down into the middle of Jerusalem and started worshiping God in public. And all of them, they were like, what? These guys are drunk. And Peter stands up and says, that's not at all what's going on right now. Starts quoting Joel about the Holy Spirit being poured out. 3,000 people get saved. That was the birth of the church. Would that have happened without the Holy Spirit? Would that have happened through somebody's personality, speaking skills, marketing strategies? Nada. The Holy Spirit was the only difference. Now we're going to pick them up in Acts chapter 4. They're in trouble again. Ready? While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they had just healed a man who had been crippled from birth. They were confronted by the priests, that's the church, the captain of the temple guard, that's the uh, Jewish military, and some of the Sadducees, who were the teachers of the law and, and the theologians. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there was a resurrection from the dead. They arrested them. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled 5,000. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. They have got the most powerful people in the disciples' lives gathering together to confront them. Now, you have to understand, we don't understand in their culture and that town they lived, if they do not acquiesce and apologize and repent to these leaders, they lose their homes, they lose their, their ability to make a living, they lose all their friends, they could be imprisoned, physically beat. They already saw their, their Savior, these guys are the same ones that crucified Jesus. And they're in, they're in jail waiting to be confronted by... We're talking about Jews who have grown up their whole life in this culture where the rabbis and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they literally rule your life. They can ruin your life. And they're being called up in front of them. And as the high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest, they brought in the two disciples, two against, and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? In other words, nobody here. 
None of us have given you this power. What right do you have? And of course, whenever they would confront somebody in this way, they would just crumble in their presence. But here's the problem. Peter, everybody say filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Here comes the Holy Ghost again. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Yeah, actually we do. Well, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel. Boy, being empowered by the Holy Spirit is something, isn't it? That he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Oh, and now they're really going to get in trouble. The man you crucified. (laughs) When the Spirit of God comes on you sometimes, you just say things you can't even believe you said later. Isn't that true? I mean, Martin Luther. In the 1500s, he nailed his thesis of 99 things where the Bible contradicts the Catholic doctrine at that time, to the door of the Church of Wittenberg. And they arrested him and called him to the council, just like this. It never changes. You've got the religious authority and the religious structure and the religious control. And at that time, the Catholic Church was really off the rails with indulgences and pain to have your sins forgiven and all sorts of power structure and they weren't even reading or using the bible it was all tradition and then you have this monk martin luther who was a devoted catholic monk and yet he was reading the bible one day and the word of god came alive and lit him up and he was filled with the holy spirit and he realized our salvation is by grace and by grace alone and he took he wrote out the points of the scriptures versus the religious order of the day he marched up to the church at Wittenberg and bam 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 he nailed it to the door of the church and this is what one writer said about that when he nailed his thesis on the door of the church at Wittenberg Luther acted without a plan a fact that he later admitted to he was acting upon what he believed to be his duty in the moment, without thought that the sound of his hammer, bam, would resound throughout Christianity for millennia to come, toppling the throne, the pontiff, that as of yet he professed to revere. At the time, Luther's great concern was that his flock at Wittenberg not be ensnared by the Tetzel's indulgences, the name of the pontiff at the time. Little did he dream that by the action that he was taking, he would arouse the opposition that was soon to be manifest, which was the Protestant church, which we are a part of. When you act in courage, it opens the door for many. When you act in fear, it closes the door on many. Think about it. Think about when God promised. His people, the promised land, Canaan. All they had to do was a few days journey and they'd go right into the promised land. 
And God says, Moses, send 12 spies to check out the land because I'm going to show you how we're going to take it. They came back and 10 of them came back and they said to Moses and all of God's people, the land is incredible, but everybody say, but (laughs) you're not going to say it. Good for you. You know, the Bible, but there's giants in the land. They were paralyzed with fear. They looked at their circumstances and fear gripped them. They let fear go inside of them and the courage was gone. There was no courage. They needed courage to go take the land. They had none. And Moses and Joshua, or Joshua and Caleb, jumped up because they saw what was about to happen. Because I'm going to tell you something. Courage spreads, but so does fear. Faith spreads, but so does unbelief. You've got to decide what you're going to disseminate to those around you. You are an influencer whether you understand it or not. You're either influencing people toward Christ or away from Christ. Jesus said, you're with me or you're against me. There is no gray area. You're either disseminating fear and unbelief or faith and courage. And so Joshua and Caleb jump up and they say, no, 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 no. Stop, stop. God, what, is, say it, come on, with us. That's the key. And every story that we look at through this series, that is the theme that we will see over and over and over and over in every story. God is with me. God is with us. God was with them. That's where our courage comes from. God is with us. We can take the land. But fear won the day because there were 10 of them and there were two of them and fear went through that congregation. They lost their courage and they died in the desert until the next generation would rise up that believed God is with us and they took the land. Cannot believe my time's up. I'm a quarter of the way through my introductory message. But we do have next week if he doesn't return, right? So there's that. Yeah. Some of you right now are facing a fear that's just really intimidating you. It's your Goliath. might be obeying God. You know what he wants you to do. You know what he wants you to let go of. You know the changes he wants you to make. It could be that thing that's on the inside of you that is really making your wife or your husband really unhappy and you won't face it. Your pride or stubbornness or some kind of an addiction or your priorities are out of whack. And you're wrestling with God and you want what you want. It takes courage to do the right thing. It takes courage to obey God. Maybe you need the courage to humble yourself and go to somebody and apologize and say, that's on me. I've been blaming you, but really it's me. It takes courage to be humble. It takes courage to speak the truth and love and to go to someone and say, look, I need to talk to you about something. You don't know how they're going to react. 
I know. I hate it. I'm a pastor. I do it all the time. We're in a relational business. It's like, ugh. I'd rather just, you know, hallelujah, praise the Lord, Shonda Shonda, right? But there's like something we both know isn't right. It takes courage to step in and care more about the relationship than the uncomfortableness of that conversation. What is your greatest fear right now? Invite God into it because he's right here anyway. Let's close our eyes. Ask the Holy, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit and you can do this with me. Holy Spirit, we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, to cause to rise up in our hearts and our minds the giants that are threatening us right now just go ahead and be courageous in this moment come on this is more than a teaching series this is awareness of god with you just say holy spirit what is it i'm intimidated about right now what is my fear fear of failure fear of my future Be courageous and let that fear well up inside of you. Okay, now invite Jesus into it. Come on, invite God. Say, God, just say, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. God and I can handle anything. Okay, now let's all stand on our feet. The key to courage is God's presence. The key to courage, extraordinary courage. I got two things, I believe, from the Holy Spirit. One is someone, uh, it's a youth, uh, a young person that's maybe in the middle school or high school age and you're just really intimidated by the by the by the social acceptance that's the key word might be somebody online might be somebody in here the social acceptance do you know that god did more mighty things to young people than almost anybody the mother Mary was like 13 years old, 13, 14. David was 17. Samuel was five. <laughs> God is with you. The second thing the Lord, I believe, said to me before the church service, he showed me that somebody here has been chained by an addiction. I don't know if it's a substance or if it's uh, fear of some kind, or shame, or whatever it might be. I think it might be a substance, but you've been chained to it for so long, you have come to believe that you will never be free of it. And it just is what it is. Wrong. Jesus can deliver you from anything. 
And as we get up into God's presence for just this last few moments of our time together today, let's allow God's presence to remind us God is with me. I can step out into the river even though it's raging. And God will cause it to split wide open. Come on, let's take our fears to the Lord in His presence and let Him just dismantle them. There's nothing worth more could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You are living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit Holy Spirit you are And fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. Nothing will. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. In your presence, Lord, I've tasted and seen. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free when my shame is under all oh, in your presence Lord oh sing it Holy Spirit you are with
to continue in worship uh, for just a, a few more minutes but I want to invite those of you who like this message has struck your heart and you are needing extraordinary courage right now and as we begin to worship again I'm going to ask you to slide out from your seat and come on up here we're going to lay hands on you Believe that God is going to impart His courage into you. And that fear is not going to control you anymore. Believe He's going to break the shackles. If you are the person that has been, that resolved that this thing that you have been struggling with or chained to for years and years and years is never going to be broken. I'm going to ask you to slide out from your seat and come up here as well. We're going to pray over you and let Jesus, the bondage breaker, break that thing.
come on. If you're battling a fear that is crippling you and you need courage, this is your moment to slide out and move up front here. God responds to humility. Why do we call people up? Why did Jesus call a guy that had a withered arm to reach his arm out? A blind guy to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Jesus oftentimes will call you to do a step of action on your part. And it's a sign of humility and faith and hunger. And then God responds. So if you need courage in an area of your life, just move out from your chair. Come up here and we're going to lay hands on you and believe God. At the beginning, the opening up of this series on courage, that you're going to get it a positive courage of God. For the rest, we're going to continue to worship. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, it takes courage to be a follower of Christ in this day and age. But I will tell you, when He returns, you'll be glad you did. The day you draw your last breath, you'll be glad you did. All you have to do is ask Jesus into your life and turn your life over to Him. I'm relinquishing control. And I am confessing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Lord, you have control of my life from this day forward. I am a follower of Christ. If you will do that, you pray that prayer, He will forgive you of your sins. He will wash you clean. You will experience His peace. And then you're on the road to discipleship, following Jesus. Okay, so we're going to lay hands on anybody who comes up for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and a baptism of courage. If you want to stay in worship, you can stay here and Josh will lead us in worship. If you need to slide out, you can slide out. The Connect Group leaders will be out back in just a few minutes after we're done praying for folks, or they can slide out now. And if you're not in a small group, it is the key. It is a major key to your spiritual growth. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. All right, come on. Mark, can you help me? Rick, can you come on and help me? Come on, let's lay hands. April, you want to come on up and lay hands on a few folks? Open All right.
Your glory, God is worthy. 